Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and today with me is our co-host and CSO of Tailored Coaching Method, and that is Dr. Brandon Roberts. We're diving into a research review today. Um, This one's going to be cool. I think it's going to be very applicable for you guys. There's a lot of people listening to this that are actively participating or working on a diet and a fitness journey, trying to lose weight, so on and so forth. This is breaking down some of the fundamental things that you need to know. So this might be a really informative and educative podcast for you if you just kind of need to better understand why calories and nutrition and and weight loss, like how all that works and what's really going on here and what, uh, I guess, like I'm just going to give away the thermodynamics, right? The law of thermodynamics. It's pretty important. It's a, it's a scientific principle. You can't really get around it. And we're going to talk about that today. So the question that Brandon's going to be answering and using the research to do so with is how does thermodynamics apply to nutrition? Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, this was a really hot topic. I mean, it still is, but it was really popular probably like five or seven years ago. Um, and, and it evolves around the idea that, a calorie is a calorie and it's calories in versus calories out. You hear it all the time, Seco. Um, and then the kind of comeback for anyone who says, no, that's not true is, well, you can't get around the laws of thermodynamics and you're right. You can't. Um, so I just kind of wanted to break on, break down a couple examples, how thermodynamics applies to nutrition and just get some basics down. Um, so the first, there are four laws of thermodynamics. There's a zeroth law and there's a third law, which we're not going to talk about. But the first law is energy is conserved, right? So that means that for us, when we eat food, we are breaking down the bonds in the food. We're harvesting those phosphate groups, so the macronutrients all to have a slightly different pathway, but um, we're harvesting energy from food. So it's conserved, right? Because it grew out in the field somewhere or it was in an animal and, and it transferred to us. Okay. So that, that's pretty simple. Um, now, what people kind of forget is that the second law is that this transfer, right, this con- conservation of energy is not 100% efficient. So if you have 100 units of energy and you transfer it to something else, you may lose 10%, right? So you lose 10 units. You may lose 20%, right? And that is why, here we go, we do not have or are capable of creating yet perpetual motion machines, right? I don't know if you've ever thought about this or mm-hmm. seen like the cartoons and stuff where like create a machine that just never stops moving um, or Newton's pendulum type thing where you swing the ball. Um, the reason we can't have those is because we haven't cracked this equation or this problem or this law, and that's we can't transfer energy completely conserved. Um, so... Okay, so how does that apply to nutrition, right? That's the big, the big problem or the big question here. Well, um, thermodynamics and nutrition are both talking about energy, like I talked about. Um, now, when we talk about macronutrients, we have a couple of different macros, fat, carbs, protein, right? So we're going to pit protein against fat because they're two extremes. Um, when we eat protein, we you know, have all these nice effects. Um, but one of the effects is the thermic effect, right? So if you've ever had the protein sweats or the meat sweats, right? Part of the energy that you're consuming from protein, you're giving off as heat, like 20% of it. So now, um, 
if you think about calories, right? A calorie of protein is four or gram of protein is four calories. Now you've lost a calorie to heat. Okay. So that still fits within the laws of thermodynamics, but it's one of the reasons that we like protein so much. And it doesn't, we won't get into or won't get in as deep as we can because I don't actually don't know it. Why that and how that transfers into protein being such a strong macronutrient um, in the molecular style. But when compared to fat, which has no thermic effect or like a 2% thermic effect, you can see how fat can count for like more than a calorie, right? So I, I wanted to point that out because everybody agrees on that. Um, that is one way to kind of interpret thermodynamics in terms of nutrition, like the, the keto proponents and the non-keto pro proponents all agree on like the thermic effect of food. Um, so they're, they're grounded. And if you read, there's a good paper. Uh, I don't know if it's good, but it's a paper. Um, that's called, you know, it's on PubMed. It's so like, is a calorie a calorie or something by uh, Feynman and some other guy. Yeah. Um, and so that's what kind of started this whole question out. Okay, so we got some basics. Now, where people get confused and something that I honestly struggled myself with for a little while is the idea that fat diets or some types of diets or keto diets or whatever, what have you, are more metabolically efficient. And so it's been a real struggle for people to understand if they are or if they are not. But in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter. So I'm going to kind of yada yada this a little bit and jump straight to the practical side. Um, and so this is where I kind of stop thinking about thermodynamics and nutrition as something that's coupled. I say, okay, I can apply it to macronutrients and it makes sense. If I try to apply it to anything beyond that, I really have to start to reach. Um, and if you read the papers and the kind of the back and forth in the science, it's hard to follow um, because it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, but if we jump to the pr practical side, which is what most people care about, and we said this on the podcast probably like a dozen times, um, when you compare two diets and you equate protein, right? So I just told you about protein and thermodynamics. It doesn't matter if you have low carbs or low fat or a mix of low carbs and low fat. Um, and there's a really good study that did that in JAMA in 2018. It's called the Diet Fit Study. Um, and they had like 600 people. Half of them did low carb, half of them did low fat. And they lost ultimately the same amount of weight, same amount of um, muscle. So that's kind of the, the take home for the, the thermodynamics effects of nutrition. So. And okay, so I have some follow-up stuff. Is there, yeah. as you know, I'm a fan of carbs, so I'm going to bring this up. Is the, I can't remember what the, the percentage of, because I know I want to say like protein's way up to like 20%, right? Of like how many yeah. calories are burned via digestion. Fat's pretty low. And I believe carbs are above fat, still below protein, correct? Yeah, yeah. So I think carbs are about 10, 5 to 10%. Um, okay. Fat's like, zero or two percent and then proteins like 20 percent, which is pretty high so would my question is is when you hear that your first thing is like oh well then a higher carb diet during a deficit would actually probably be more beneficial because you're gonna burn more of those calories you know what i mean through digestion i guess the only thing would be well if you're in a deficit it doesn't matter because you're going to be using whatever you can because you're, you're in a deficit would that be accurate 
So maybe that only yeah. applies in a surplus or at maintenance. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's where it kind of gets tricky as you're right. Like when you're dieting, your body is like, oh no, I need calories. And it's very easy to get calories from glycogen. Like you break down glycogen, like you break down glucose. There's like two extra steps. Um, it's very easy to get it from fat stores, right? Like you go through a different pathway. Um, when it comes to protein and amino acids, there's a much less efficient pathway. So that's generally why we don't break protein down very much, especially if you're like training and stuff. It's just not efficient. Um, but yeah, your, your body's going to reach. And if it has a bunch of glycogen stored, it's going to pull that first. And then that's, you know, when you diet, you get all depleted and like sad looking and feeling, you know, um, then it reaches for the fat. Right. So, yeah, I mean, as long as you're in a deficit, it, it doesn't really seem to matter. Got it. And I, I believe there was a, and this is why like typically we, uh, you know, as a company, when we're putting somebody through a diet, we're looking at what are you going to adhere best to? There are some other factors, of course, that we got to be cautious with that may lean us more towards a high carb or a high fat, low carb diet, depending on the individual. But usually it's like, what is this person going to handle the best to be the most consistent with, right? As long as protein's up, what are they going to do best with? Um, at maintenance or in, in a gaining phase, obviously we might lean more towards higher carbs because to gain muscle, you're going to want more glycogen, better performance, so on and so forth. Um, my other question would be processed foods. I believe there was a study and the, I didn't dig into this. And the, the only reason I am like, I kept it at arm's length was because the person who was uh, running with it and creating a lot of content is a very, very strong proponent, not like a paleo guru type of guy, but he's definitely a strong proponent of like not into artificial sweeteners. You know, it's not just calories, like kind of thing. So you got to take it with a grain of salt. It's not a very neutral opinion. However, the study did show that uh, you burn more calories through digestion with unprocessed foods, which to me would make sense if you have crackers in a box or a protein shake or, or a protein bar or whatever. It's, it's broken down to an extent already for you. It's processed. So your body doesn't have to do as much. Whereas if you're eating chicken and broccoli and potatoes, there's no processing there. Your body has to break it down. Um, so I could see that now, whether or not it's splitting hairs, I have no idea because I didn't look at the, the differences, but is there, do you have any thoughts on this? Have you seen any research on that as well? Yes. So there's a really good study by Kevin Hall, good friend, Kevin Hall, who's also a physicist. And when he talks about thermodynamics, you should probably listen. That's probably like the only person I'm like, nutrition, thermodynamics, got it. Um, but anyway, he did a study where he compared um, processed food or ultra processed food or like this, you know, fast food type things, like things that taste good that we want to eat um, compared to like a whole food diet. Like you said, like chicken and broccoli and, and a little bit more normal stuff. And, um, he basically kind of put it against each other and he found that I think, let's see if I can remember this right. Um, the people who ate whole foods lost weight easier and, um, lost more weight than people who consumed kind of these ultra processed foods. Um, and part of it is digestion and a big component of it is like fiber, right? Cause like you eat fast food, there's not a lot of fiber in it. If you eat good, healthy grains and whole wheat bread and, and things like that, you have a good bit of fiber, which is not like empty calories, but they don't count for as much calories as like sugar. Yeah. Right? So, so there's one factor, um, not to mention like the appetite stuff where, you know, if you eat processed foods, you crave processed foods, and then you have a, like a hunger issue that you have to deal with too. Um, and a satiety issue. Um, so, you know, we're not like, 
I'm not going to say you can't lose weight and eat a ton of processed food or ultra processed food, but it's probably not in your best interest to do so. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. And obviously the satiation factor is a huge factor in, in adherence long-term. Um, yeah, usually when we talk about this, the only other thing that comes up in my mind as a question is the protein thing, but you kind of already covered that. And the reason I always have that question just because um, I've talked to Bill Campbell and Dr. Jose Antonio on the podcast about this, and it's just kind of crazy what you see in the studies where they do overfeeding. You know, I'm, one group was like in a, I think technically was in a 400 calorie surplus, but because it was a surplus of protein, they lost weight. Like they were fine. They Nothing bad happened. I think they were really uncomfortable at night, I think was like the thing he told me was like the, the one side effect or complaint was that they were sweating at night and just like, which you, I mean, that makes sense. You know, your metabolism is ramped up trying to burn off those extra calories of protein and you're probably sweating and you probably, you might have the meat sweats for all we know. I think they did protein shakes, but point being is I could see, totally see that. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, overall it makes sense. It's just one of those things that people have to try to understand fully. And, and I would say, like, I always tell people, uh, it's hard to really say yes or no with the calorie is a calorie a calorie thing because a lot of times I try to explain to people as well is like you know 200 calories from Oreos is not 200 calories from apples because you're also going to get vitamins minerals fiber uh, more water all those kind of things within an apple and those things fulfill and satiate other parts of your body and phys- physiology that an Oreo just doesn't which is probably why it's way easier to eat a whole bag of Oreos than it is to eat a dozen apples. Nobody does that. I've never seen anybody eat more than two apples. You know, it just doesn't happen. <laughs> Dude, I can't like, I have an apple a day and like, it's, I could not eat another apple a day. Like it, more than two apples. I'm just like, what? Uh, unless it's apple pie, which doesn't count. Right. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. And that's yeah. the, that's like a, a good example of highly palatable, right? Like sugar, a little bit of dough, like the fat. Um, and I can do the same thing with like, if I have sweet potatoes, it's like, I can have, you know, the normal amount and I feel very good. But if you put butter and salt on it, like grass-fed butter and some like Johnny's salt seasoning, dude, I can eat an ungodly amount of sweet potatoes. Like it just doesn't make sense. But it's it's that it's that combination of highly palatable foods, which is another really it's another topic. But that's a very interesting one. Like, uh, who is it, Doctor uh, Stephen Guyanate, Guyanate or something like I can yeah, pronounce yeah, him. I think it's Guyanate. But uh, he was up at UW out here in Washington, um, and I had him on. He wrote the book Hungry Brain for anybody listening that wants to dive into this topic. And it's it's an interesting book, and they talk a lot about this kind of stuff and how highly palatable foods can really kind of, dare I say, trick you into eating more. I don't want to say that, but they can. I mean, it's yeah. it's very easy to consume a lot of it. Yeah, that is actually that's one of that's one of the first books I read when I was trying to figure out like appetite and brain mm-hmm. mechanics because. I don't, I don't know very much about brains. Um, I'm a muscle guy. So it's a good, it's a good, good book though. Yeah. It's a very interesting book. Um, the last thing I'll say on that is just a very interesting tidbit. Uh, do you remember the show man vs food? Yes. So this is a good example for those listening of how this can actually work to trick your, your taste buds, in your body. He was doing a competition and it was like, uh, I don't remember what he was eating, but he, he was getting to a point where he was just, he was hitting a wall and he couldn't do more. And so he ended up ordering French fries, I think, or something, French fries and ketchup or something that was like, would be highly palatable, you know, fat, carbs, all, all those things. And he was so full, couldn't eat. So he ordered that the guy brought him, he had some of it and then he kept eating and he actually finished the challenge, which is crazy. But that's a good example of like, he needed, and he's smart enough to do that in order to keep eating more food, which is hilarious. But, um, I couldn't 
couldn't do that guy's job. But uh, but it's a good example. So um, yeah. Anything else on this topic before we move on? Um. So I would say when people start talking about thermodynamics and nutrition, like it's probably just best to kind of like avoid it because it's so complex that most people don't understand it. And I'll be honest, I don't understand it to an extent to like someone like with a physics degree does or a you know physics PhD. Like it's just not the same. So like be careful when you say like calories and thermodynamics in the same sentence. Yep, 100%. Cool. All right, guys. You heard it here. If you guys like this podcast, do us a favor, leave us a five-star rating and review. Um, and I should probably add that Spotify has reviews now. So whether you listen to us on iTunes or Spotify, I'm a, I'm a Spotify guy, go and leave us a five-star rating review on Spotify as well. Um, and if you really love us, go to both platforms and leave them at both places. Uh, and again, if you like this episode, take a screenshot of the show, post on your Instagram story and tag myself at Cody McBroom and tag Brandon at brob underscore 21. Uh, we want to thank you for listening and we want to share it on our story we'll catch you guys next time